What's up, Amelia? This is Dayspring here with a review of Dark Web Issue 1 by Zeb Wells and Adam Kubert. And this is an issue slash crossover I have been highly anticipating. I love Madeline Pryor so much. I love Ben Riley so much. If you saw me at New York Comic Con, I was literally petting the glass at Madeline's, the Marvel Legends Madeline Pryor figure was there as part of the Engine of Vengeance. And I am so disappointed the Engine of Vengeance isn't coming out because it did not get the crowdfunding it needed. And we're not getting our Marvel Legends Madeline Pryor. But I also love Ben Riley. The Mafex Ben Riley that came out this year is absolutely wonderful. Did it come out earlier this year, like in January, or was it last year? I don't know. But anyways, it is a wonderful figure. So I love these two characters so much. They have so much depth and beauty in them in terms of characters that I'm really disappointed in this issue. So we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about it. If you guys want to hit me up on the Power of X-Men DMs, let me know your feels on Dark Web. I know my analysis of the current X-Books can be a bit harsh. <laughs> you know, I'm not really loving a lot of the current X-Books. I thought Judgment Day was really, really bad. I think some of the other X-Books I've just sort of dropped off because, you know, Judgment Day I thought was not very good. And there were moments where I thought it was good. And then there were moments I thought, like, why are we doing this? You know what I mean? And a lot of my disillusionment with the current X-Books began with Inferno, Jonathan Hickman's Inferno, and Trial of Magneto by, Trial of Magneto by Leah Williams. And th those two crossovers, which I believe is about a year ago at this point, were sort of ugh, lackluster, especially Inferno, which was supposed to be billed as the end of Hickman's storytelling here on the on in the Hoxpox era. I just thought it, it fell a little flat. So this is a long-winded way of saying where I was like, okay, just turn off your brain. Two of your favorite characters that normally don't get a spotlight, Madeline Pryor and Ben Riley, are going to be spearheading a huge crossover during the holidays. And it's going to be nice. It's going to be a good cozy read. You know, some of the pages are taking place in Rockefeller Center. And, you know, I lived in New York for 17 years. I just moved back down to Miami. So, you know, I miss New York and this is going to be really comforting for my soul. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just can't do it. I can't turn off my brain. Let me let me kick this review off with what really does bug me. I am tired of Madeline Pryor being portrayed as just a villain. I am done with it. I think it has been so overdone at this point. I it just gets me really upset. I think there was this wonderful fan art of Madeline being resurrected and being greeted by Jean that Regina from the House of X podcast sent me back during our Generations of X days, days where we sort of did a history of Madeline Pryor. So the, 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 the image, which is, again, just fan art, is Madeline coming out of an egg being resurrected by Jean. Madeline looks a little like gives her like a cocked eyebrow and Jean just extends her hand and they go walking off into Krakoa together. Very beautiful. Put that aside from them. You know, put any animosity away. And let's see a new era of Madeline Pryor. 
During Inferno, she was so demonized, right? She was revealed to be a clone of Jean Grey. She unleashed hell on Earth, or just specifically New York City, and was going to sacrifice her baby, <laughs> you know? And she dies at the end of it. And, you know, I get it. Originally, Madeline Pryor was supposed to be this one in a million chance that Scott Summers found someone who happened to look like Jean. And the way you sum up Madeline Pryor, according to Chris Claremont, was the scene where Cyclops asks Madeline, are you Jean Grey slash Phoenix reincarnated? And Madeline just punches him. That's all you need to know about Madeline because she was not originally intended to be that. She originally was supposed to just be Scott Summers' happy ending. Scott leaves the X-Men following Jean's death. He meets Madeline. Again, one in a million chance that she happens to look like Jean. And he goes off to Alaska, has a couple kids, and is a reserved member of the X-Men. That was supposed to be the original intent for introducing Madeline, sort of to shepherd Cyclops off. Like his story was done with the X-Men. Obviously, they do X-Factor, and they want to reunite the O5. There was talk that Dazzler would take the place of Jean, since Jean was dead following the events of Dark Phoenix. But no, she is brought back editorially. And so what do you do with a character like Madeline? You make her into an evil clone. And then at the end of Inferno, you know, she, her memories get transferred to Jean and Jean sort of takes on the surrogate role of being Nathan's mom. It's a very convoluted story. And when I was, when I was much younger and, you know, we did not have the internet kids. We did not have Wikipedia. All you had was this little trading card and you sort of had to start piecing information together from some of the issues you've read, from the trading cards, from your friends at the comic book store, from anywhere you could, and sort of decipher these characters' history. So Madeline was one of those. What Madeline was one of those characters. I had to do a lot of copy and paste with information from various sources. And some of it turned out, you know, rumors or people who didn't understand the story as well. So you kind of had to like dig through a lot of data just to get Madeline Pryor's story. So I, Madeline Pryor is very special to me. Similarly with the Clone Saga and Ben Riley. I mean, that was a story that's very infamous with Spider-Man fans and, and Marvel readers. So this is all to say is that there is a lot of emotional investment in a character like Madeline. Now, I want to give a couple like little points here, which is when I was in fifth grade, I read the short story in one of my textbooks about this clone farm and how there were two clones there and they discover their body parts and organs are being harvested for the originals. And so these clones are like, we want to live. They escape the farm. And it was sort of this, you know, theme in, in, in the textbook that clones are people as well. And you can't just clone someone, grow them, and then take their organs away. And it, it was a really shaping narrative for me. And I would dare say it was probably a little cutting edge. Because in fairness to Marvel editorial in the 80s, they did not have the foresight of how these characters would grow and be beloved by fans like all of us here at the Power of X-Men Familia. They just saw an editorial conundrum, which is, oh, we want to bring Cyclops back, but we have Madeline Pryor. Let's just turn her into an evil clone and boom, you know, that's it. You just did that as it was, it was just a literary trope and it was a literary technique in order to get the story from A to B. 
So when I read this clone, you know, story in fifth grade, it was sort of groundbreaking back then, the idea that clones are, they have their own souls. And I went to a Catholic school, so, you know, they have their own souls, they're created by, you know, a higher power, and they're not here just to be harvested. So it, it was a very really groundbreaking narrative for me. And as I'm saying it out loud, I realize how ridiculous that story and everything I just said is. But what I'm trying to elucidate for, for us here is that there is a way to write characters like Madeline Pryor and Ben Riley, And I really do think that Madeline during the Nate Gray X-Men series was written perfectly well. You know, it, it's after Inferno. Nate reconstructs a psychic echo of her, and you see the effects that Sinister had on her. You see the effects of her being viewed as just Jean's clone. She reunites with Jean in X-Men issue number 25, and it's a very intense issue. And, you know, this this is a long-winded way of saying that Madeline is her own character with her own beats and everything. To write her off as simply evil... It's sort of kind of like, uh, I don't know, I want to say a slap in the face to readers. I want to say it's an antiquated narrative. It's something that's just been done, and I think most of us want more out of the character, right? And unfortunately, so X-Men, the series, ends with Madeline at some point during the run being replaced by an alternate universe evil Jean Grey, and Nate doesn't even notice that. So it's hysterical, but... We don't know whatever happened to that baddie. You know, during the 12, there's a psychic echo of her that comes to visit Cable, you know, and that was during the Cable series, but it's only like one or two cameos. And then she comes back during Matt Fraction's sisterhood arc because she's trying to find a body because <laughs> she's just a disembodied psychic shell and she needs Jean Grey, but Jean Grey is dead. So she's going after Jean Grey's corpse, but Domino had switched out the coffin. So she just evaporates i suppose and then she comes back again later on and she's just disappears into the wild that, that's sort of really what just happens i mean she confronts i believe it was storm and storm's like madeline this can go one or two ways and madeline, madeline's like i'm out of here bye don't quote me on that on, on that last part there but the, the idea the, what happens is madeline just goes off to parts unknown and then she resurfaces during Hellions, where she's murdered. <laughs> and then everyone's like, oh, it's okay, not a big deal. You can just resurrect Madeline because she's a mutant. And that's the whole point of the Krakoan age. But nope, Quiet Council's like, we don't resurrect clones. And that, folks at home, caused such a stir with X-Dance. And we had Jordan D. White on the podcast. And he said that, wow, I'm so shocked. Madeline Pryor wasn't as popular until we killed her off. And I was like, well, I don't know. Madeline Pryor has always been really popular amongst certain circles of X-Men fans. But sure, I guess there was a huge Twitter outcry for that. And, you know, we had Zeb Wells also on the podcast during that time. And he said that he was being purposely coy with that council scene because he didn't want people to sort of know what was going on. They wanted to think that there was something nefarious with the council, you know, prohibiting like the resurrection of Madeline Pryor. Which, by the way, turns out, in the context of this story, they were right. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, I love Madeline. I want Madeline to come back. But they literally resurrected Madeline. And now she's unleashing hell here in Dark Web. So, you know, that is a, a long-winded way of saying that, ah, uh, 
man, I am so disappointed in Dark Web. I was hoping for so much more. And now, listen, we've had Zeb Wells on the podcast. We've read all of Zeb Wells's Hellions. We love his new mutants. He is a very talented writer. So we are going to give him the benefit of the doubt here for issue one. And, you know, we, we understand that the crossover needs time to come into fruition, marinate some plot points. But I'm going to get into what I didn't like. But one thing I do want to say that I did like, and I really do want to bring it out here because it's part of this opening scene with Ben Riley, is that Zeb Wells is really good at writing trauma. That was something that was really evident in Hellions is writing these badass characters that are carrying a lot of baggage and a lot of trauma with them. And I think that is very present for Ben Riley in the opening scene. So let's get into the opening scene, which is New York City. Ben Riley is walking around with, I guess that's supposed to be Hollow's Eve. I, I'm forgetting you know, her name, but she was in the Beyond Corporation and he runs into Peter Parker and Peter Parker's like, give that back to me. That's not real. And literally snatches his hair (laughs) from his head. And Peter is just laughing. He's with MJ and they're both looking maniacal. And then he takes his lips and then he takes his eyes and all his body parts, like his brain and he's saying to Ben Riley, you're nothing, you're not a real person. And it sort of, you know, pans out and it's all an illusion caused by Madeline. And she says, emotion has power here, pain and regret are currency. I focus mine into the scythe of sorrows, a symbol of which I command the demons of limbo. And, you know, Ben Riley's like, if pain is energy, then I'm full of it. And then Madeline's like, let's get back to it, you know? So it starts off like, just like that. You know what I mean? I do want to say that scene with Peter taking Ben's hair and all his like facial features and his brain is something that's homage to Madeline during the 80s where she thought she was just, you know, a a gene dupe and that's it, nothing more. So, you know, there's a similar scene of all her features sort of been taken away from her. So, you know, we we get into it there, you know, on December 13th, the real Peter Parker and Mary Jane are having a eulogy at the Coffee Bean for Harry Osborne's clone that died. I did miss this part of the story, so I'm not too sure what happened with Harry and his and his clone. We were covering Spider-Man Beyond over at Masters of Comic Books, but I haven't followed up with it since. But all you need to know is that Harry Osborn had a clone who died and they're at the coffee bean, which I'm like, why are they at the coffee Bean, of all places in Manhattan, I feel like they would have gone somewhere else. You know, I, I know they're talking about like, oh, he really liked to drink coffee and, you know, talk about how F1 was a legit sport. And like, listen, by the way, Familia, you know me, I love, I absolutely love F1. So, um, you know, I just, I, I'm team Harry here, but, you know, the point of the scene is that Peter and Mary Jane haven't been talking and they sort of kind of come together because Mary Jane has two kids. Now that is another plot point that of course I've heard of. It's been quite contentious among fans, but you know, it hasn't really, you know, 
entered the X-Men circle. I mean, Mary Jane was just hijacked for the Hellfire Gala by Moira, but I'm glad to see she's okay. <laughs> you know, they don't make any mention of that here. But so, you know, back in limbo, Maddie and Ben are seeing Eddie and Eddie, you know, Venom is saying things like, you know, Madeline, you promised me you'll help me find your my son. And she's like, yes, I will. And then she slams the door and she does something to Eddie that we don't quite see. So then we get to the Rockefeller Center and the X-Men are there, Cyclops and Jean, Havoc, Firestar and Iceman and Magic. And they don't seem to be having the best time here. You know, Gene's kind of like, oh, I'm walking through a crowd that doesn't even want to be here. And what's more, they don't even know that they're part of the crowd and they're cursing the crowd and there's no, you know, self-awareness here. And, you know, Firestar has a really cool scene where she's like, and this was really cool, the way her powers work. She doesn't need to have a jacket. She's really warm. And she's like, come in here, Alex. I thought that was that was very cute. Magic goes up to a storefront and she sees some elves and they say, Textus Tenobarum, Textus Tenobarum. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm horrible, I'm horrible. But um, this is Madeline from Limbo playing the piano, reciting that. And it's just, um, it translates into woven of darkness. Woven of darkness. So, you know, something like that. She's weaving darkness into onto Earth. And she's saying this, and all the demons are reciting it. And, you know, Hollow's Eve is there saying, That sounds great, Maddie. And she's here, like, Don't you just love my new song? And and the art by Adam Kubert's really, really great. That's not it's not even an issue. So then what happens after Madeline has unleashed this curse from limbo? Um, inanimate objects start turning on humans similar to the way they did in Inferno, the original Inferno, and start going after them. And Spider-Man is aware of this, and he sees it at Rock Center, and the X-Men are like, oh, I'll give you one guess at who this could be. Scott, it's Madeline Pryor. And, you know, Magic sort of gives her the benefit of the doubt. Magic is like, oh, I didn't think Maddie would do this. So then at Oscorp, Norman is visited by Ben Riley and starts beating up on Norman <laughs> and to the point that he just gets on him and he starts like pounding his his face. And then the issue kind of ends with revealed with what happened to Eddie, which was Madeline turned him into like a mindless demon. <laughs> so you know, that's sort of where it lands at the end of the first issue. And my problem with this is sort of how simple and straightforward everything is here. You know, like kind of like a demonic venom is now unleashed and he's going to go after you know, presumably Spider-Man and the X-Men. Madeline has absolutely no characterization here. You know what I mean? I mean, she does seem to be self-aware that fact that she was brought back and as part of that bringing back she cannot step into the new york headquarters of the x-men with any ill intent so what she's doing here she's here like listen we're gonna unleash you know this evil onto new york and this could be the end of our story you know she tells that to ben but you know the x-men are gonna find out pretty quickly it's me so i'm, I'm very happy that she has that self-awareness but ben riley is the one who has so much characterization here and you can really tell that zeb wells is leaning into that with the opening scene we just discussed but even his conversation with norman where he's here like 
I don't really remember a lot of what's happening with me. It's just the bad parts here. And I want to remember. I mean, those are really beautiful things to say. And maybe that's just a better positioning of the character following Spider-Man Beyond and the fact that Zeb Wells was writing him and sort of Madeline has been sort of, I mean, she hasn't been like dominant in the X-Books, but following Zeb Wells, she has appeared in New Mutants. So maybe she just had not that great positioning following it. But I really wish we could have gone in a scene where Madeline's like, you know, they resurrected me. They told me I had to get off of Krakoa. I, I couldn't even see my son. You know, I, I have another son who is a clone, you know, named Strife. I really wish they would have given sort of that, you know, motive behind it. I'm not really sh- entirely sure why Madeline wants to burn Krakoa, why she wants to unleash hell on Earth. It just seems really flat and reductive at this point. So, you know, unfortunately, and by the way, I'm sure that it's been stated and we, you know, we can obviously get into it, you know, and, and this is similar to what happened in Hellions. She just wanted to come back and lay waste to Krakoa. There was absolutely no real reason why she would want to other than she's just evil. You know, the evil clone wants to do evil things. And again, I think we could add death and humanity to Madeline. Once more, Zeb Wells is a very capable writer. And, you know, you only have so many pages you can get into in the first issue before you have an opportunity to flesh out those characters. But I just feel like this was just like a really like action-y, straight up story. Again, the writing is not, the writing itself is not terrible. The art is very beautiful and fluid. So it's not a criticism on the production it's just, uh, if you're a big Madeline Pryor fan, if you're a big X fan, if you've been dying for Dark Web, I just fear this fear this crossover is going to fall to the wayside and sort of get forgotten. And I think there's a lot of potential here to tell a really good story. Again, I think Madeline Pryor being resurrected, being kicked out of Krakoa, saying, if you you know do anything, you know we're going to come after you, and, and all these conditions, and they don't even allow her to reunite with her family. I, I, I could, if it, that is stated in the text, this is me inferring it, this is not stated. If that was stated in the text, then I would be like, okay, now I understand why Madeline Pryor is sort of doing the things she's doing. You know, but it's not. She's just straight up evil here, and that's not even mentioned. The other thing I'm going to say is I didn't, you know, it's a straight up reenactment of Inferno, which I was not really expecting. I guess I don't know why I wasn't expecting that, given that this is a crossover taking place in New York. I guess I should have seen that coming. But I did not see that coming, much like Aaron Taylor Johnson in Age of Ultron. But, you know, I don't think you need to read Inferno But my worry is that we're just getting, in terms of characterization, a Madeline from Inferno to now. You know, and that's it. Like the X-Men series in particular is sort of, you know, forgotten about. Now, you know, we know Jordan D. White has said in interviews that the Madeline prior that exists right now has all the memories of past Madeline, you know, incarnations, including the one that was with Nate Gray. So hopefully that is, you know, going to be addressed later on. And we did run into the assistant editor of Dark Web at New York Comic Con. And I did mention, hey, if you're doing Madeline, you got to talk about Nate and all, you know, her time there. And, you know, we, we got a knowing look that we won't be disappointed. That's Zeb Wells. So with all of that said, 
It is Zeb Wells. I'm happy to give the benefit of the doubt, but this first issue is a little lackluster. It's not very good. And, you know, I want to say Gene and Cyclops in this issue really disappointed me when they're like, I'll give you a guess of who it is. And Gene is like, well, I don't really sense Maddie anywhere here. I, I don't like the Gene versus Madeline perspective. I think if we're going to talk about really antiquated narratives about like evil clone tropes, the two girls fighting, you know, the two girls fighting when Sinister is the one who literally traumatized both of them. He literally took Jean's genetic samples against her her will and cloned another human being and traumatized that human being. Jean versus Madeline should not be a thing. It should be Jean and Madeline versus Sinister. You know what I mean? So the fact that we're not seeing much pathos from Jean in regards to Madeline gets me really upset. And during the Nate Gray issue, X-Men number 25, you know, she says, I don't want to tell Scott it's going to disturb him if he finds out that Madeline's back and he's already put her to rest. She's my responsibility. I'll go take care of it. And then, you know, they, they, they have the scene where, where Jean's like, oh my God, it's you, Madeline. And Maddie is like, oh, let me guess. You're worried that I'm going to take Cyclops from you. Don't worry, sister. Been there, done that, and his little brother too. <laughs> so, you know, I just love that, that, that evolution in their relationship. And it's not to say that they don't need to have a difficult relationship because they, Madeline is a clone of Jean and Madeline is like, what the fuck? I never asked to be a clone. And Jean's like, well, I never asked for a clone to be made. But so here we are we're trying to get along. It's going to be, it's going to, there's going to be friction. But at the end of the day, they should be on each other's side. You know, it should, they may, they may have discourse between themselves, but it's them versus the world. And I wish they would lean into that a little bit more. Now, obviously, Alex is in this issue, and, you know, they say, oh, is this your girlfriend, Alex? And Alex is like, what? Madeline's not my girlfriend. You know, during Hellions, he was really heartbroken over her death when they, you know, that happened right after they reunited. He was dying for her to be resurrected. We get a little panel of her kind of like talking to him, and I guess, <laughs> sadly, she broke up with him during that panel. So, you know, let's see where it goes with Alex and Madeline in this. I'm personally a big Lorna and Havoc fan. I love those two together. I don't think Madeline and Havoc are bad by any means, but I didn't know that he was this hung up on her. I mean, listen, it makes sense when you look at it editorially because Inferno, he becomes a Goblin Prince during Mutant X, that alternate world where 616 Alex goes into the body of an alternate universe who is married to Madeline Pryor of that reality. And they have a son named Scotty. So I'm I, I, I'm here for the relationship. I just need to be sold on the relationship in 616. You know, let's, let, let's see it fleshed out a little bit more. And I would love Alex to mention Mutant X. I, I don't think Alex has mentioned Mutant X since, you know, that, that series ended. Like, does he have those memories of another time? I don't know. But I will tell you, if it comes out that Alex is like, hey, in an alternate universe, I was married to you and we had a son... I am now once again sold on the fact that Madeline and Alex are, or you should be in a relationship. So that is my review of Dark Web. It's very convoluted. You know, the more I've kind of talked about it out loud and what they could do, I'm like, okay, this wasn't that bad of a, of a first, first issue. But 
how about this? I don't have faith. They're going to lean into all of that. Right. And I'm sorry to say, I'm not trying to be a pessimistic, like, you know, person here, but I've been reading X books since 1990, like four, you know what I mean? Like I, uh, you know, I, I try not to project what I would do on it and kind of take the story for what it is, but I think there's a lot of potential here. I don't think it will be realized. I am happy to be wrong. I am happy to eat my words. We will keep a close eye on it. I'm debating if we should be covering this for the podcast. If we do cover it for the podcast, I want to drop these episodes morning of. I don't like waiting a couple of days, maybe even a week to do a recap of it. You know, this is airing at midnight because I wanted to get this review out the door for everyone so they know what's going on with Dark Web. I will say I think it's an intriguing crossover. And, you know, if it lives up to its potential, I think it could go down and being a really great one. But I worry based off of this issue, that may not be the case. All right, Familia, we have Anne Nascenti, the writer of Longshot and Daredevil on the podcast. We have Jay Halderman, who was the producer for X-Men Mutant Academy on PS1 back in the day, one of our favorite games here. We do have that Scott Lobdell interview that's coming, I promise. It's just about recording an intro with Flink, and we have Book Club on the 18th. And we're going to be reading Longshot for that. We have a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. We also have a collaboration with White Gold Industries on a Dark Phoenix and Jean Grey versus Sabretooth shirt. Hit me up at Power of X-Men and we'll see you all later.